Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show tonight. I'm so glad you chose to join us here on the New Human Living Radio Show. The topic tonight is the return of the divine feminine, and our guest is Trisha McCannon. We're going to bring Trisha on in just a little bit. and We're going to talk about her book, The Return of the Divine Sophia, Healing the Earth Through the Lost Wisdom Teachings of Jesus, Isis, and Mary Magdalene. You know, I love talking about the um, reawakening of the divine feminine, if you will. The um, we could talk about it in the sense of the rebalancing of our of our consciousness, both collectively and individually. But but I I just want to put a little tiny little bit of seed in in the thinking of the idea of masculine and feminine, in just a root fundamental basic sort of way. Divine masculine, divine feminine. I like to daydream about the, how the, the mechanics of the universe, if you will. And if you think about the birth of 3D, the birth of creation, where you go from no space, from non-local space, and the birth of duality, the root of all that is, I suggest. And in that first impulse, masculine and feminine attributes are found from the very very beginning and 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 it's fine to think of this just conceptually or or more concrete if you so choose but fast forward eons of time and now we're in the solar system we're on this planet there's there's men and women all over the planet are our collective consciousness is quagmire and testosterone poisoning for the last several centuries where we've been uh, very much a masculine-oriented um, construct. But with the root of all that is um, hinged around masculine and feminine, I suggest the Creator had that in mind from the beginning to give consciousness complete and total dominion over all that is for for the creator to seed everything in creation rooted in masculine and feminine i think was by design so as the evolution of consciousness happens more and more of what seems static or rigid i.e the laws of physics etc as the rise of consciousness happens, those seemingly rigid attributes of our uh, uh, um, 3D dominion, if you will, start to soften as we discover more and more of who we are. Well, that's enough uh, shop talk. Let's, because uh, I want to get to this episode. I want to jump right in. I think we're going to have a delightful conversation tonight. Uh, Trisha was called through her dreams by the priestess of Isis and set out on a spiritual journey into the mysteries of the goddess, discovering a forgotten age when the creator was honored as female and humanity lived in peace. Wow, how beautiful is that? In the process, Trisha found herself pulled into the magical world of ancient Egyptian Celtic and goddess mysteries um, and learned about an era of forgotten history when the creator of the universe was thought to be female. This powerful realization is supported by recent discoveries in the field of archaeology, anthropology, and linguistics that reveal a time in human history going back some 200,000 years when God was considered to be a goddess. Trisha is an American mystic and the author of of numerous best-selling books. Um, I think we should just get right to it and welcome Trisha to the show. Trisha, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Well, hi, Les. It's a pleasure to be with you and our wonderful audience tonight. Thanks for having me. 
when when you think about the return of the divine feminine, when you just take that that topic, um, how do you see um, changes in the culture? So, I mean, up to this moment, we've uh, we've had typically a masculine oriented culture for so long. If we were to in, in embody more and more the divine feminine, how would our experience of our collective consciousness change, do you think? Well, it's a great question, and, and I think that we're in the process of having to find our way because, as you pointed out, we've really been living kind of under the, the structure of the patriarchy for at least a couple of thousand years. Um, I can make some suggestions, and, of course, our audience may think of others and you may think of others, but... Um, I think that one of the ways to look at it, first off, is that uh, in the, you know, there are two concepts, the idea of imminence and transcendence. Imminence tells us that the, everything is sacred, that the divine exists in everything. Transcendence is the idea that God is kind of off the planet, someplace out there in outer space, and, you know, if we pray hard enough, maybe our prayers will be heard. Well, I mean, the truth is I think both are true. I think that the divine is beyond what we can see, but the, the divine uh, spark exists in everything. So the first thing is I think we would start treating animals in particular and each other and the planet as if everything uh, has that sacred spark. And so we wouldn't have the level of violence and um killing and abuse and cruelty and torture. So I think that's one thing that would happen. I think also we would look at the interconnectedness of everything. Uh, so instead of being our goals being competition and profit, they would be cooperation. And they, we would look at, you know, like, for example, there's eco-farming, where instead of destroying all the insects, we find the ways to attract the ones we want and to kind of repel the ones we don't want, but we're not killing everything and poisoning our food or the soil in the process. We would, um, you know, if, you know, perma permafrosting, for example, we'd rotate the crops in such a way that it supports the land and the soil. Uh, and we would wind up, you know, I think the the masculine approach has been sort of like the goal justifies the means, you know, whether it's money or power or whatever. Uh, and the profit is, the, you know, the, the thing we're going for at the cost of maybe the soul of the people that are working for that company. Uh, I think in a, in a more feminine paradigm, we would... And I think some of this is shifting, by the way, in some of the corporations. You know, we we would be interested in, we'd know that if we make the individuals happy through giving them enough time off, uh, giving them enough um, ways to address the other pressures in their life, like, you know, pregnant moms or, or uh, taking time to go to the gym so they're healthier and they get rid of their stress. And I think this is starting to happen that we would treat them as people rather than as products. And then what would happen is you have happier employees and you have a happier company and you have more productivity and you have happier retention. So, I mean, these are just some very practical ways in which I think this, the paradigm can begin to change where we're, we're not, you know, abusing ourselves and everyone else in the process. We're doing the opposite. Does right, that make I sense like to that. you? Sure, and and the thought that came to my mind was uh, vitality. When when you honor that, the the fundamental needs of employees, they, they there's a vitality that shows up. There's instead of you know like this drudgery of going to work, when work supports you, I mean the, the, there's a, a a quickening, if you will. Yeah, there's an excitement because you're you're actually doing something where you're valued. I mean, again, I mean, really, if we think about it, you know, what would we do without our mailmen or what would we do without the guys that come and pick up our trash? Those jobs are just as important as all the other jobs. And so instead of feeling like, oh, I'm a garbage man, you know, I'm a low-class nothing, we would, we would honor the fact that all these tasks are actually, if they're done consciously and in love, they're all part of the circle. 
And I think that's the difference sort of if you think about it as a symbol. The masculine path is always kind of a, a straight path and or a pyramid structure where you've got like the power elite at the top with, you know, what is it they said, something like 3% of the population of the planet has 94% of the wealth. And so that means right. 6% planet has the other <clears throat> whatever it is um or six percent of the wealth is held by the other you know 97 percent of the planet so in the in the in the divine feminine approach to things it's more like a circle where we realize that every single person is important everybody has their contribution you're strong maybe when i'm weak i'm strong when someone else is weak and by coming together we create a synergy that's greater than the sum of the whole and again it's this honoring of the sacred in ourselves instead of being discounted and told that we're not worthy to you know gather the crumbs beneath you know the feet of whoever it is we're worshiping to honor those beings of course as representatives of uh what we can be when we are more in our divine nature and to honor that nature in ourselves and each other and i do think that there is a shift you know there's in the ancient world there were in the Vedic world, the, the Eastern culture, there was what's called the three gunas, and they're the three movements of consciousness in the universe. One is upwardly moving towards um, God or towards our own divine nature, and that's called sattva, which is means golden. And then one is downwardly pulling. That's called tamas. That's more towards, you know, drugs, pornography, the demonic realm. It takes us away from our divine spark. And then there's one that's called raja, which is more materialistic. It's more horizontal. So our culture in America, we have primarily a raja culture. But we have a subculture that's tamask, and we have a subculture that's sattva. You and I and a lot of our listeners are probably part of that sattva culture where we're we're striving to be better, we're striving to live better lives that are more connected, and um, and it's all about balance. You know, you you can't be that way all the time. You can strive to be that way, but sometimes you just have to go shopping. You got to have a Raja day, you know, and sometimes you want to watch <laughs> vampire movies. Okay, so you have a little bit of tamask in there. But there are people that are totally caught up in whether it's drug addiction or pornography addiction or whatever it is that creates shame and guilt and blame and anger and fear, and that doesn't serve us. So, you know, I think we aim for the sattva, and we definitely have to have a little balance in, in the raja and the tamask. But, you know, it gives you some perspective. You know, because we realize, you know, we're, we are a combination of all these things, but it's what do we seek and what do we, what do we aim for in our essence. And the more we all aim for that, as you said, when we were talking earlier, as the, what did you say, when the seas rise, all the boats rise. How did you say that? It was so eloquent. When the, uh, when the tide rides, when the tide rises, it lifts all the boats. I love that. That is so wonderful. And, of course, we're the boats on the sea. And, of course, how does that tide rise? It, it really rises through the more and more of us that have that conscious intention towards kindness or love or inclusion, uh, um, and the better it is. The more of us that are you know, falling into anger, division, prejudice, name-calling, you know, guilt uh, or fear, any of that stuff. It's actually, you can just, once you know that, the three gunas, you can ask yourself, oh, is this really serving me to fall into this level of guilt or to be ruled by my fear here? No, and you can recognize that you've fallen into a tamask, you know, a, a set of emotions, and then you can say, oh, you know, let me shift my direction, and what would support me feeling more, you know, uh, love, more harmony, more peace, more fulfilled. And that's the path, of course, that you really want to follow. It's a good yardstick, don't you think? Sure. Well, you know, it's because we can talk about the collective consciousness where it's this huge mass of people on the planet. And then we can talk about individual consciousness of uh, individuals and 
the, the big is driven by the small. It, it's like peace is not going to force itself. By its very nature, peace does not force anything. So, I mean, we're talking about the return of the divine feminine. If I if I look at the masculine side of things being raised in in a, a, a very religious Mormon household where and masculine was a very dominant thing, and then I think within my own being, I have feminine attributes. In in the Western culture of America, typically guys were told to um, not show emotion, to suck it up, to be strong, and, and it's really kind of a galvanizing behavior. When we go to, to reawaken divine feminine traits, it, it can be hard for individuals to kind of go into the unknown, if you will, but, but the feminine traits have so much to offer us. Um, tell us about... Well, I was going to tell say, us about how, how you see that unfolding. Well, you know, just to kind of support what you're saying, you know, you, you, both of us, all of us, have masculine and feminine within us, and they're sort of beautifully uh, synchronized in the brain. So we have one side that's logical and mental and analytical and very structured and, um, you know, uh, good with those kinds of very ordered, grounded, practical things. We have another side that's creative, fun, spontaneous, uh, intuitive, uh, emotional, thinks outside the box, uh, is able to completely uh, be open to new ideas and to new life, and that's the feminine. And they need each other. Uh, I often think of the masculine by itself is kind of like the the warriors patrolling the fort. You know, they've organized the fort totally beautifully inside, but it's all very precision and kind of cold. And you know, they're they're out on the edge of the fort, you know, with a gun, and anything new that comes, they're going to shoot it because they're, you know, trying to you know protect uh, you know their boundaries. The feminine. If it was all feminine, they probably would have painted the 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 fort many colors and decorated it. And you know, as soon as they saw something outside, they'd probably be like, "Come on in, okay?" So, come <laughs> on in, we'll have a party. So, you know, that's the thing: the feminine needs the masculine discernment, and the masculine needs the feminine. If we just have the masculine, we never really grow. We just continue to repeat and have more control, more dominance, more, you know, dominion over all living things. Yes, we must crush them and control them. That's what happens. <laughs> but if yeah. you have too feminine, then you wind up having, you know, no structure and you have no order. So the, we need the two sides of our brains to come together in union, which is, of course, that sacred marriage. And then that way we have, we're open to new ideas, we're creative, we're spontaneous, we're intuitive, we're compassionate, but we also can sit down and be practical and kind of sort through our thoughts, get grounded, make a plan of action, and also be discerning enough to not, you know, just foolishly open the gates to everything. So it's a beautiful balance. It is, and I think there's so much to be, um, uh, there's so much uh, positive effect that you reap from bringing yourself into balance. If you're, if you're totally feminine and not masculine or vice versa, there, um, the, the elegance of nature, I mean, nature has this, this sweet elegance to it, and and because uh, nature typically finds its own balance, and within that balance, there's such little uh, uh, conflict or struggle. Uh, nature expresses itself so gracefully, and that same model can apply to us. Um, often, the when you go to change something, especially a lot of people who don't have a strong sense of self, and they're trying to um, perhaps build a, a construct or a model of quote who they are to try something new can be uh, intimidating, but but the balance scared. has gifts for you. 
You know, in my book, Return of the Divine Sophia, as you may know, you know, I talk about the hidden history of the goddess and how for thousands of years when God was thought of as the Divine Mother, because everyone observed that in nature who gave birth were all the feminine animals, you know, the female women and the female of every species. So logically, who would have birthed the universe would be the Divine Mother. So as long as that thought was held, men and women ruled together in a partnership model, and there was absolutely no war on this planet. And that is astonishing, considering, you know, as long as we can go back in our currently recorded history, you know, at least three, four, five thousand years, it seems like there's been a lot of war going on. And, um, you know, so we just sort of accept that that's always the way it's going to be. There's always going to be another war, another conflict. But imagine if we change that paradigm. And what I think it informs that paradigm is our beliefs about the divine. If we believe that the divine is both imminent and transcendent, that it is present in us and in all other things, then we begin to treat those things as precious instead of, you know, if you notice with the military, you can watch it on the television shows, they don't say we're going to kill that person. They say eliminate that target. They make it impersonal. And so the, the person who's actually pulling the trigger or the gun doesn't say, oh, I'm murdering a person. They're saying I'm eliminating an obstacle. It's like a, you know, an, a, an inanimate obstacle that's in my way. It doesn't matter that I, you know, blow it up or kill it or bring it down. So it's, um, it's a shift in our, in our way of thinking, and as long as, you know, of course, you know, on one hand, I really honor all the soldiers and the warriors and the brave people who have gone out to try to protect our country or, or those of any other country who believe that they're trying to safeguard, you know, the things that they believe in. So I have the utmost respect for them. But on the other hand, wouldn't it be nice if we did not have to have such a powerful military-industrial uh, complex not only, you know, in America, but around the world, in all the countries, if we were able to use those resources for having better lives and for, um, you know, um, cultivating the land and for feeding the people and for creating, you know, justice instead of, uh, you know, devastation. Right. There, the, the new model, the new paradigm, the new story, if you will, of humanity it it comes into our being through our own consciousness, through our own intentions, through our own um, desires. You know, w- what I find curious on this radio show is uh, we've we've talked many times about the idea of the divine feminine, and with your story yourself of um, being called through your dreams by the priestess of Isis, uh, th- there's a there's a much bigger framework besides just this physical space that humans live in. There's a much bigger framework that is is engaged in in giving us the wisdom of the ages to give us the the memory, the remembering of the of the goddess mysteries, if you will, and. And the the cards are stacked in our favor. A lot of times we don't see that in the physical media, but I mean your story, your life path is is a is a very classic example of of this this older uh, wisdom than just our egos. This deeper understanding of the human mechanics, the human psyche, being brought yeah. in us through us. Talk about that. Well, let me say that for me, I grew up um, here in the Deep South. I live in Atlanta, and my dad was Baptist, my mom was Methodist, and uh, so we come out of the Judeo-Christian paradigm, and I became Episcopalian. I think we changed to the Episcopalian parish when I was about nine, eight or nine years old, and I was confirmed there at 13. But from the time I was little, I spent time in nature. There was a big woods across from me, like I don't know what – 200, 300 acres, and I spent a lot of time there after school, 
And uh, I began to, when I would be very still by this brook or this creek, I began to see these divic spirits, the elementals, which are like the guardian angels of the plant kingdom. And I think they were very surprised that I could see them because most people, most humans can't see them. And after a while, they told the overlighting angel of that forest to come and talk to me. So he came and began to teach me when I was eight years old about the great chain of being and how the light and sound of God are stepped down through vibration to form each of the dimensions and planes to eventually come into the third dimensional world. Well, that made perfect sense to me. And I could tell that he was different from me in the sense that he had never incarnated as a human and he was more, let's say, consciously connected to his awareness of, let us say, um, the the interconnectedness of all of life. Um, And he was in a place of total peace and unconditional love, but he didn't have the complexity of the same emotional body or mental body that that we carry, Uh, although, you know, he was obviously intelligent and so forth. He was more like direct transmission because he was totally plugged in. And so I found myself uh, growing up, you know, having these interplane experiences one right after the other where one night I'd be up in the temples of golden wisdom studying with masters. Uh, another night I'd be in the bowels of the lower astral plane going, what am I doing down here? Another night I'd be on spaceships with these very tall, human-looking, you know, advanced spiritual beings that were teaching me. And so I was very busy in the inner planes. And um So I did a lot of praying growing up that, as I told you earlier, that someone wiser than me would show up to help me connect to the roadmap. So when I was 19, I was at school at Florida State University where I graduated, and I had this very profound experience where these masters appeared to me, and they had that roadmap. They had a roadmap of the various dimensions and levels. And it was like, and they taught the ancient science of soul travel, which is the ability every soul has to shift its consciousness while we're still living in the physical body and to travel in at a soul level in the subtle energy bodies into, let's say, the astral plane or the mental or the causal or the atma plane, and 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 to visit there and to study. And so this was definitely the path for me. I didn't have to believe something and wait till I was dead to find out what was true. I could actually experience it myself. And, you know, I, I'm kind of like a show-me kind of girl. My, my dad was a lawyer, so even though I'm a mystic, I like evidence, I like research, and I like direct experience. So, um, I, you know, in my Clark Kent life, I graduated. I went back to Atlanta. I became a commercial photographer for many years and shot for a lot of Fortune 100 and 500 companies and was very, you know, grounded in the third dimension. But I was, personally, I was developing my uh, meditation abilities and my abilities to travel in my dream state to these higher realms. And, of course, sometimes you would try and nothing would happen at all. And other times, when you least expected it out of the blue, you know, you would have these profound experiences. So when I was 27, um, as I was sharing with you a little earlier, I had one of those very powerful, you know, very real lucid dream experiences where I had gone back to school for my master's degree and uh, in a college, and I woke up, uh, and I was in a dorm room, and there was all this hieroglyphic writing on the wall, and um, I there were symbols. And I didn't really recognize the symbols, but I knew that they were really important, like galactic language. And when I fell back, I tried to remember them, but I fell back asleep. And when I woke up, of course, the walls, the symbols were gone. But I remembered one of the symbols, which was a circle with a dot at the center. And somehow I knew that it meant the beginning of all things and the end of all things, although I had no idea how I knew that. And, of course, later I was to discover that the ancients considered that the ancient symbol for the sun and for the creator, and that's what in physics today we call the singularity, which is the scientific name for God, in other words, the one and only, and then the circle is what they call the event horizon, which is the scientific name for everything that God created. And so it was a perfect symbol for me, but at the time I didn't even know what it meant. 
So in, in, in that time, I wound up going to the library to see if I could, you know, find the, the symbol in a reference book. And it was one of those beautiful, deep, wood-polished libraries with the, you know, tables and so forth. And, and uh, suddenly the student assistant came and got me and said, there is a phone call for you at the front desk. And I was like, well, how, nobody even knows I'm here. How is that even possible? So anyway, I went back and picked up the phone, and this woman's voice came on, and she said, is this Trisha McCannon? And I said, yes, who's this? And she said, we've called to tell you that your dreams are real. And I said, who is this? And she said, we're from the priestesses of Isis, and that's all we're permitted to tell you at this time. And then she hung up. And then I woke up. And, of course, it was a dream within a dream. And there were clues in it, the symbols and, of course, the priestesses of Isis. But, of course, I thought, you know, what is this, some strange Egyptian cult or something? I mean, I had no idea. Like many, I think millions of people, I had always been drawn to Egypt and loved Egypt and been fascinated by Egypt, but never in a million years did I think something like that would happen. And so about two months later, in the real third-dimensional world that we all live in, I had gone to lunch, and uh, there was a long line, so I killed some time by going to this beautiful gift store that had Egyptian statues and crystals and gorgeous jewelry and thick carpets. And I was in there looking at this Egyptian statue, just mesmerized, and the woman behind the counter said, are you interested in Egyptian things? And I said, yeah, I've been dreaming of the priestesses of Isis. And she said, oh, tell me your dreams. And I said, well, I'm not sure you're going to know, you know, understand my dreams. I'm not even sure I do. And she said, try me. I'm a high initiate in the priestesses of Isis. And that was to become my shaman teacher. And um, she was a very powerful, very wise woman who lives hidden in the woods in a, a, uh, a sacred cabin overlooking this incredible vortex where there's been prayer work done for thousands of years. And um, about two weeks later, she invited me to go and see her, and I went to see her, and uh, I spent the day with her. And um, it was so powerful that I could feel the uh, vortex of that sacred energy spot watching me. And um, the things that she said to me and shared with me that afternoon really shifted my reality. Uh, For example, I did not know that all mammals are created biologically female first, uh, whether they're animals or they're humans or whatever. In other words, the existence of the man or the male in any species is because of the release of an additional androgen. Which so the, in other words, biologically, the male is actually a subset of the female. Well, of course, that's not what I was taught in the Judeo-Christian version of reality. It was that men were created first, and then well, women were taken from the rib, and that justified their subservience for, uh, for all eternity. And um, so I, I began to discover that the the Judeo-Christian version of reality that had come out of really the priest of Yahweh or the priest of Jehovah after the Babylonian captivity had been altered from the original Sumerian and Chaldean texts of the Enumad Elish and the Atrahasis, which describes basically, you know, the story of men and women being created together as equals, and that there was basically a social political agenda going on with that patriarchal group, and unfortunately it got passed on then into Christianity, and of course the Romans were very patriarchal and militaristic, and then it got passed on to the Arabs. So here we have, you know, 2,500 years basically of suppression um, and and the dominion and abuse in many times of women uh, by you know less enlightened men being justified by basically uh, facts that were altered uh, in the original creation of of the human species and um, that was a, a shocker for me and to discover that instead of women being a subset of men that actually in truth biologically men are a subset of women um and so that was like what (laughs) my whole world just kind of like did a little tilt you know and so i began to delve deeper into this and i was invited into this you know 
at the end of that day with Shasta Zarin, who's a remarkable woman, and she's still alive to this day. I, I love Shasta. Um, she's a very powerful teacher for me and very hidden, uh, not public at all. Um, she, um, you know, it was clear to me that my guides wanted me to study with her. But I was a scaredy cat, as I told you. I, um, you know, I was already meditating. I was already, you know, honoring all these different spiritual traditions in the world, which was, you know, kind of a, a shock to my very traditional Christian family. My older sister is fundamentalist, married to a preacher, and um, they were definitely convinced I was going to hell. And um, so I, I was a scaredy cat. I was just like, I don't know, you know, this is one, one more thing that my family will think I'm strange about. And so I, um, you know, I ask her, you know, I'm not ready yet, but when I am ready, will you teach me? And she said yes. And um, so it took about five years, and many things had to happen. I wound up being visited by these uh, goddesses. I had no idea the, who they were, but they gave me their names and their symbols and their powers. And then I found these reference books, uh, Barbara Walker's Encyclopedia of Women's Myths and Secrets, that literally, you know, it's like 1,200 pages, that literally is like a, an encyclopedia of all of these goddesses and gods from all these different paths. And sure enough, there were the names of these beings I had never heard of until they appeared to me. The symbols were the same. And so then the question became, wait a minute, I can understand how these beings could have existed historically, but how in the world could they in current time have interacted with me at an interdimensional level? You know, do they exist in the fourth dimension? Do they exist in the fifth dimension? Are they really long-lived beings and they're telepathically contacting me? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it posed more questions than I had answers for. And so the time came when I went back to Shasta and said, I'm ready, you know, I really need some answers to these questions. And so she convened a circle and there were about 12 women, and they were came from every walk of life, from lawyers to makeup artists to, you know, salespeople. I mean, they were normal people and um, very intelligent. And we began to learn, really, about this hidden history of the divine feminine and how it had been uh, repressed and how history had been changed and how most people, of course, know nothing about this, of course, myself included at the time and how it shifted my paradigm of understanding that, you know, we don't have to live in this dominant, masculine, warlike society. We could make a different set of choices if we wanted. We could live in something that was more harmonious and peaceful and cooperative and, and instead of butchering the animals with such, you know, terribly cruel ways, we could, you know, treat them with respect. And that's one of the big causes that I stand up for these days. I belong to a lot of organizations to try to save the horses that are being slaughtered and their meat is being shipped overseas and to try to help the big cats that have been brought over here as kittens and are put in cages in people's dark garages and go insane and, you know, the little donkeys and, you know, the try to get free-range chickens and, free-range cattle, so that at least they have good lives as long as they're alive, you know. And I think the more of us can, that can support by buying free-range eggs with no antibiotics and support these kinds of causes, even if we can only give $20 a year, if, you know, a 1,000 people give $20, that's $20,000. So I belong to a lot of those kinds of things where I um, honor the work that others are doing in behalf, really, of of the whole planet. Well, I, I liked what you said about the uh, the timeline of the of the masculine, if you will, and uh, I think because for for so many people, um, I think you and I um, both were raised in a you know a, a perhaps a traditional Christian household in the in the Western mindset when. For a lot of people, they go to they go to college, they get indoctr indoctrinated with the the cultural norms or standards, and then like you, like me, um, there's this inner awakening, this inner calling, if you will, 
And and for a Western mind, for, for a mind that might be steeped in science or perhaps the show-me-prove-it-to-me kind of mindset, to, to have this dialogue of this vast um, uh, arena of dimensions on the other side of this, this um, veil, it, it can be a stretch for people to to make that kind of a shift. And for so many of us, our life path has that woven into it. I mean, I I had I was I was a broadcast TV engineer for decades. And had you asked me that I was going to have a radio show and write books and talk about the mechanics of spirituality, I I couldn't keep a straight face. And yet here I am doing it. So when you uh, what, what would you say to to uh, women and men who who are are being called in a direction that might be a, a completely different tangent from their family of origin, from the belief systems of their past? I would say first off that we are far more than any one life, and we are far more than what we appear to be, or even what we know ourselves to be. This is why you know in Greece. Uh, over the Temple of Delphi, the very first commandment was to know thyself because within us, if we go deep enough in, we'll find that, you know, we have that God spark within us and and every other being does too. So I would say first off that, that know that there's a lot more to you than meets the eye or that you even know and that part of our mission in this lifetime is to reclaim it. Second, I would say it's time. You know, this is the lifetime for so many of us where it is really time for us to once again step forward and to follow our hearts and to follow our spirits. And it's the only thing that's going to change this planet for the better. And the more of us that can do it, the stronger, you know, we will be as a planet and as a people and as a society. And so in every person's life, I think they're different um, Times it's kind of like a we're like a time capsule, and sometimes you know we're asleep at the wheel when we're when we're a teenager or twenties or thirties, and and sometimes that's exactly the plan is for us to come in and get married and have children and join the PTA and do those kinds of things that are you know the normal things, and then at some point through a, a shock or a divorce or death or the loss of a job or some tragedy, we, you know, begin to awaken. We begin to ask the deeper questions about the nature of life and suffering and, you know, what is it all about? And um, is there more than, than what we've been presented? I mean, I think that the powers that be that kind of want us to stay on the, the um, merry-go-round, they don't want us asking deep questions. I mean, they they want us busy. They want us busy working. They want us busy watching TV. They want us busy consuming and buying things. But they don't really want us asking these deep questions because then we might, you know, break the spell. And um, and so, you know, while I think religions initially start with very inspired, you know, avatars or masters or teachers or philosophers that are have reached high consciousnesses. And many times the people around them initially are striving for that. As the decades go on, the people that maybe have the wherewithal to be able to build it into a money-making organization, sometimes they lose the thread of the plot. And, you know, the knowledge gets lost, the deeper esoteric wisdom um, doesn't get transmitted or passed on. And, of course, as I've studied all these different religions, I've discovered that they all have like an exoteric or an outer path and an esoteric. And the esoteric teachings of all these religions are beautiful and wonderful. But 90, probably 95 or 99% of the people in those religions do not know the deeper esoteric wisdom and they don't know the spiritual technology of awakening. They just have been introduced to the exoteric, you know, pray, genuflect, celebrate the high holy days, you know, um, you know, give penance, take communion, you know, do atonement, right, yeah. ask, you know, 
but that's not those those are sometimes those are good things, but there's a deeper level behind it all that the masters discovered and that the masters were teaching. Jesus, for example, was teaching, you know, in the Gospel of Thomas, he says, when you make the two eyes into one, the inner into the outer, the outer into the inner, the male into the female, and the female into the male, then you shall see the kingdom of heaven. Well, if you don't know the spiritual technology, you're like, what the heck is he talking about? But, of course, what he's really talking about when you you know, you make the two eyes into one. In other words, when you open the third eye, the, the eye, the inner sight, and when you make the male side of the brain into the female side of the brain and the female into the male, when you join the two dualities or polarities within us together, then we connect that corpus um, colossum, you know, that the, the sheath that connects the two sides, and we have a chance to actually access our inner hearing, our inner sight, our inner feeling, our inner knowing, our telepathy, our healing abilities, our connection with spirit, um, you know, our intuition, all of those things. We become, as Jesus would say, an androgen or a whole person beyond the duality of either sex. And so he, he's literally giving us the tools right then and right there uh, to uh, the spiritual technology map. But, of course, all this got lost someplace along the way. So, you know, part of my job, I think, in this life is to try to bring those wisdom teachings back so that people know them and they can practice them if they choose to. Um, you know, I've written four books. Dialogues with the Angels was my first one where I talk about, you know, the, the, guardian, the forest angel and how growing up I was having these encounters with the Viragi and the Masters and, you can get that from my website or from Amazon. Um, and then, in fact, you can get all the books from those um, places or a bookstore. Uh, the second book I wrote was about the lost years and secret teachings of Jesus and the great spiritual mystery schools that he traveled and studied at for the 30 years before his ministry began. The third book, of course, is the one we're talking about tonight, The Return of the Divine Sophia, and that lost piece of history where I get into who Mary Magdalene really was and the female Christ. The Gnostics believe that she actually was the female Christ and that the male and female Christ periodically come to Earth together uh, in order to lift the consciousness of the planet. And, of course, we get into Mary and her apparitions and and you know um, Mary the mother and of course Mary Magdalene and how Jesus actually says that he cannot return until the divine feminine is reinstated in the world and that's a huge statement so I think this is one of the reasons why the patriarchy is calling let's say ISIL that terrorist group ISIS and why they have a war on terror it's not T-E-R-R-O-R it's T-A-R-A it's literally a war on the divine feminine and, of course, by linking terrorists to Isis, who was considered one of the greatest, you know, wisdom goddesses of the ancient world, they, you know, pollute that energy. So it's sure. very sad that that's happened. But, you know, shows like this can wake people out of that, that spell. And then, of course, my latest book that came out in the fall of 2017 is called um, The Angelic Origins of the Soul. And it's very much about the landscapes of heaven and who we really are as divine beings, uh, how um, we come to earth and how we take on these karmic tests, how we get caught up sometimes in the game down here and how we can break out of that illusion and um, the test of mastery, the course curriculum that we're all going through. And um, one of the things I've discovered as a clairvoyant that's read for over 6,000 people around the world is that if you go, if you pull the thread of the person's incarnational history, you know, beyond the third dimension, the fourth and the fifth, and you travel all the way back to when they begin to come down to these dimensional realms, I discovered that each one of us actually does originate from the angelic kingdom. It's just we've really forgotten our own angelic nature and part of our mission is to reawaken that in this lifetime. Well, um, while we're talking about your platform, can you share with our listening audience um, how you work with people, one-on-one, in groups, 
I mean, give us uh, an overview of how the audience can engage your material. Um, okay, so first I have a website, which is my name, com or com. I have a lot of cool stuff on there, not only books, but podcasts. And um, I have a whole mystery school that I've been teaching for 14 years. Then you, I finally, about five years ago, got the first 12 classes that are like 100 to 180 pages each class with lots of processes and exercises and information and pictures. Finally got them up online. So you could actually go in and you can order them one at a time for like 99 bucks, or you can order the first three for like 225 and save yourself. $75, and I send them to you individually. So, you know, that's easy enough to order on, you know, on my website, as well as um, probably about 30 DVDs I have. And I've just started doing these amazing online classes for a company called Sacred um, Stories Media. So that's their website, Sacred Stories Media. And if you go to that, you can click on Sacred U, like not Y-O-U, but U, like university. And I've Three classes I've created for them. One of them is about the lost years and secret teachings of Jesus. The second is about the divine feminine, Mary Magdalene, the quest for the Holy Grail, the Merovingian bloodlines of Jesus and Mary. And then the third one I've just completed, which is all about the Egyptian mysteries. And each one of these classes is like six or seven modules, and each module is like an hour or an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and 30 minutes. And, you know, you can watch the very first module for free and then decide if you want the course or not, which is very generous of Sacred Stories Media to do that. And um, and that's cool. And then what happens is they send it to you, and you can just watch it in your own time and your own leisure, whether it's, you know, next week or it's three months from now. So it's it's really cool, and I'm very proud of the classes because I've had so many people call me from around the world who um, really want me to come teach. And I'm happy to come and teach a group in person, you know, if, if there are people in a city that want me to come. But, you know, I'm my, um, I, you know, we have to kind of have a large enough group, whether it's, you know, 25 people or something like that. And also I've sort of been staying a little closer to home these days because I've been taking care of my 93-year-old mom who's probably going to pass this year. Um, so it allows people to get these teachings no matter whether they're in Europe or Canada or Jamaica or, you know, China or America. Um, so that's very cool. So my website, Trisha McKenna Speaks and Sacred Stories Media, and there's three classes, three, you know, whole uh, programs that I have there that you can take online, which are cool. Um, I have done, as I said, about 6,000 readings for people around the world, and I'm trained in about 10 different healing modalities. I've been a hypnotherapist for 25 years, and I have a lot of times people come to see me to do the healing work. Uh, the clairvoyant work, I can arrange that over the telephone, and so if they you know, are interested in getting a, a soul reading, uh, then, you know, they, my phone number, believe it or not, is actually on my website, but um, it's um, my, my landline at home here is 678-309-0888. And they can, you know, they can call. Mornings are usually best because I'm usually in readings in the afternoon, and I'll tell them kind of what's needed. Or you can go online to my website and look under readings, and I explain all about the readings. I do astrology, and, of course, I do soul readings where I'm really – tracking people, you know, through millions of years of their history, their past lives, what they've mastered, what they're still working to master, you know, if they have wounding patterns they need to overcome, if they're in karmic relationships or soulmate relationships. Uh, I'm, I'm tracking all of those things. Um, and so, I, you know, sometimes I tend to be booked at least a month out or six weeks out, but I sometimes can take people you know on shorter notice so you know you can read about it on my website and you can con you know contact me or my emails on there uh, trishamccannonspeaks.com you can send an email that i'm interested in a reading or people sign up for readings and then we'll send them an email and say this is what you need to send to us and they can come in person or i can do that on the phone and then if there is something that they're really needing to shift or heal in their subconscious patterns, then, you know, we can always, we'll see that during the, during the session. And, you know, that's something they can 
you know, choose to pursue if they want to with me or with somebody else. Um, but I do a lot of that kind of work with um, people. And I'm very passionate about it because I truly believe that, you know, if we could only see who we are as these incredible divine beings, a lot of that fear and guilt and blame and shame would fall from us. And we would begin to integrate all of these beautiful aspects that we've cultivated through time. And uh, so my mission is, at a personal level, aside from the teaching, which I love, uh, is about helping people to become more whole and more empowered. Well, beautiful. I like that. Well, you know, uh, an hour can go by pretty fast. Tricia, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight on the show. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show tonight. Thank you so much, Les. You, you know, you're such a deep thinker, I can tell, and you have such a beautiful heart. Your questions are so insightful, and it's just such a pleasure to uh, be in a conversation with someone like you. And I'm sure that your your fans and your listeners out there feel the same way and they follow you because you are that person of heart and wisdom. So thank you so much for having me. We've been talking with Tricia McCannon, and the topic tonight has been the the return of the divine feminine. It's um, It should be quite evident at this point that that every one of us is this spark of the divine, this this point of presence of divine consciousness. In a, in a very simple sense. And then we have this, this um, incarnation and you grow yourself in the ego and your family of origin teaches you what symbols are. Then they teach you what the values of the symbols are. And then, as, as we mentioned in the conversation tonight, as you get older, you, th- there can even be more of people where there's a deeper, perhaps seemingly hidden uh, truth underneath it all. And your life path has um, a vision for your life, a potential for your life. Your soul loaded up your psyche with an escrow of, of potentials to be fulfilled if you so choose. The, the element of free will is evident in every single moment throughout the entire journey. But once you awaken to that life purpose and once you can uh, get clear and clear about it. it it's a ever-unfolding story, really, but there's a deep satisfaction that can happen that, that gives you fulfillment today, that, that gives you a sense of satisfaction today. The, the mechanism of heaven on earth has always intended to be experienced in the moment. It's not a future event. You'll never experience the future because it's a, it's a uh, idea cast into the, um, down the timeline. It's now. It's today. When you practice looking with virgin eyes at love in your environment, if you, if you practice looking to see love with virgin eyes as you go throughout your day, you're going to attune to the field of love that exists in all that is, in every time, in every space. And that love is the the yellow brick road, if you will, to heaven on earth, to be able to embody unconditional love for all that is as it is allows you to experience heaven on earth today. You don't have to wait for the rest of the planet to catch up. You don't have to wait for any any agreement or treaty to be signed. Heaven is an inside job. And so trust your place in it. Trust your own authentic desires. Show up for yourself. Um, life can be such a rewarding thing in every step of the journey. Hey, you know, you chose to join us tonight, and I appreciate you being here on the New Human Living Radio Show. I'm your host, Les Jensen. It's always a pleasure bringing you episodes like this to help awaken the power in you.
Thanks for listening. Until next time. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.